0: Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code UNIVERSE at checkout to get 10% off. And by Audible. Audible has over 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free 30-day trial at audible.com universe. Okay, let's talk about Uranus. First, we should talk about the name, and you know exactly why. If you're a 12-year-old child, or once were a 12-year-old child, or, like all of us, still have a brain with a little piece that works like a 12-year-old child's, you heard two things when I said, let's talk about Uranus, and one of them you wouldn't want to talk about at all. But this isn't new. Uranus has always had a problem. The planet, I mean. Stay focused. We saw it back in 1980 after the Voyager 2 spacecraft flew past Saturn and newscasters found themselves saying things like, the probe is now speeding toward Uranus, and then wondering why studio technicians couldn't keep a straight face. I saw it first when I was a boy and went to a space-themed summer camp, where all of the bunks were named after planets. By pure serendipity, the bunk Uranus was located right next to a sports field, so that's where the equipment was stored. Veteran campers would wait delightedly for the inevitable moment a first-time counselor would say to someone, go put those bats in Uranus, then we would dissolve into helpless boy laughter. Even J.K. Rowling got in on the fun when, in the Goblet of Fire, the Hogwarts students visited a planet display and Ron Weasley says, Harry, we saw Uranus up close. Get it, Harry? We saw Uranus? Inevitably, astronomers and teachers and even astrologers have tried to sidestep the problem altogether by pronouncing the name Uranus, which fools absolutely nobody. It sounds as ridiculous as it would if there was something about Jupiter's name that embarrassed them, and so they started calling it Jupiter. So let's all take a deep, cleansing breath and try to get past this. Because the fact is, Uranus, and yes, we're going to call it that, has a noble history, and its name is a meaningful part of that. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. With the millions of websites out there, it's important to have a personal website that stands out. Squarespace offers customizable designs so that you can easily tailor your website to fit your needs. With their drag-and-drop tools and modern templates, they make it easy to build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of skill level. No coding required. Plus, you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Start your free trial site today at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code UNIVERSE to get 10% off your first purchase. This episode is also sponsored by Audible. Get immersive entertainment that you can listen to on the go with Audible. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from. Take Audible wherever you go by listening on your smartphone, computer, or tablet. Listen to such works as my book, The Narcissist Next Door, Understanding the Monster in Your Office, in Your Family, in Your Bed, in Your World. Find this book or books of all genres at audible.com. As a special offer to my listeners, you can get a free 30-day trial today by signing up at audible.com/universe. That's audible.com/universe. The planet was officially discovered by British astronomer William Herschel on March 13, 1781, though it had been seen distantly and faintly throughout history. It took sharp eyes to spot Uranus in the pre-telescope era, and most people who could see it at all dismissed it as merely a small, dim star. Herschel came to suspect it was something more, however when he was scanning the skies with a 20-foot telescope of his own devising and found that the supposed star resolved itself into a small disk that, if he tracked it, moved across the sky, slowly but much faster than a star should. So Herschel looked and looked and thought and thought and concluded that what he'd found was definitely a comet. He listed all of his reasons for reaching this conclusion and then wrote confidently in his journal, quote, This sequel has shown that my surmises are well-founded. But other astronomers, alerted to the discovery, disagreed. Calculating the orbit of the new body, they concluded that while the path it followed around the Sun was a bit more elliptical than that of the other planets, it was far more circular than that of a comet. Therefore, it must be a fully certified seventh planet. Herschel ultimately accepted the judgment of his peers, and since he had found the object, even if he'd misidentified it, was given the right to name it. Loyal to a fault, he chose the Latin name Georgium Sidus, or the Georgian Star. A tip of the hat to the British monarch, King George III, who was also his financial patron. The rest of the world objected to the idea, partly because they took rather a dimmer view of the British Empire than Herschel did, and partly because, in a sky full of worlds with glamorous names like Jupiter and Mercury, nobody could quite get comfortable calling a planet George. In the alternative, other astronomers favored naming the New World after its discoverer, But to most ears, a planet named Herschel was even worse than a planet named George. Finally, the British Royal Academy, which didn't have the last voice on such matters but did have the loudest, decided to stick with mythological tradition, naming the new world Uranus, after the father of Saturn. Whatever we call it, Uranus is an impressive world. At nearly 32,000 miles in diameter, it's the third largest planet in the solar system, or four times larger than Earth. But it's a light, almost buoyant thing. Uranus is one of the four so-called gas giants, with Jupiter, Saturn, and Neptune being the others. It's also the second least dense planet in the solar system, trailing only Saturn in vaporousness and fluffiness. A year for Uranus, a single trip around the Sun, takes 84 Earth years, which makes sense for a world that's about 1.8 billion miles from the center of the solar system, compared to our up-close 93 million miles. Located so far away from the fireplace of the Sun, Uranus is also the coldest world in the solar system, with a the thermometer falling to a bitter minus 372 degrees Fahrenheit. That's even colder than more distant Neptune, which at least has the internal mass and density to generate a bit of its own heat. Fittingly, Uranus looks as cold as it is, showing up in telescopes as a nearly featureless ice-blue sphere. But Uranus is much more than just a blank blue snow globe. As centuries of better and better telescopes and a 1986 flyby by Voyager 2 made clear. For one thing, there's the fact that Uranus is the solar system's only sideways world. Billions of years ago, so the theory goes, Uranus orbited the sun in a respectable, heads-up, north-south orientation like every other decent planet. But at some unknown point, a free-flying world about as big as Earth whizzed by, smashed into Uranus and knocked it silly, tipping it over onto its side. Earth got clobbered similarly by a world the size of Mars, but it kept its feet under it, tilting 23 degrees but no more. That slightly inclined orientation is what gives Earth its seasons. When Uranus got slugged, however, it hit the canvas and hasn't been able to get up since. A day on Uranus takes 17 hours. It continues to rotate like any other planet, but it rolls like a ball instead of spinning like a top. If a planet could lose its dignity, Uranus did. Uranus's unusual orientation and 84-year orbit mean the planet's poles experience even greater extremes than Earth's do. The Arctic and Antarctic get six months of daylight and six months of darkness every year. But that's nothing compared to the 42 unbroken years of light and dark at the Uranian poles. The atmosphere of Uranus like Jupiter's and Saturn's, is mostly hydrogen and helium. But unlike its two bigger brothers, Uranus is also rich in methane, which is its third most abundant gas. On Earth, methane is a big player both in biology and in global warming. On a cold, dead world like Uranus, however, neither of these processes is at work. Still, methane is in some ways Uranus's defining element. The gas absorbs red wavelengths and reflects back the blue at the other end of the spectrum. This gives Uranus its signature color that, depending on who's talking, is either cyan, turquoise, or aqua, but in any event is gorgeous. Hidden within that blanket of air is at least one process that is nothing short of magical. Deep within Uranus, the pressure is 8 million times greater than sea level pressure on Earth, and the temperature is about 8,500 degrees. That causes some of the carbon atoms in methane molecules to break away, and that, if you're following where this is going, can do something unexpected. Carbon at extremely high pressure becomes diamond, and at higher pressure still, liquefies. This, astronomers believe, might mean Uranus has oceans of liquid diamond studded with vast floating diamond bergs and replenished regularly by diamond hailstones falling from the sky. So try making fun of Uranus now. There are other things, too, that make Uranus both beautiful and strange. In 1977, astronomers were observing the planet as it briefly passed in front of a far more distant star. They noticed that before the star disappeared behind the planet's bulk, it appeared to blink on and off five times. Stars clearly don't blink, but they can appear to blink if something fine or fleeting passes in front of them. That something, the astronomers concluded, must be a faint ring around Uranus. Or, more specifically, five faint rings. Two hundred years earlier, Herschel thought he might, just might, have seen a ring around Uranus. But modern astronomers dismissed that, believing his telescopes simply lacked the power for such an observation. But Herschel was either right or lucky. When the Voyager 2 spacecraft passed Uranus in 1986, it spotted not just five rings, but a total of 13, circling the planet's sideways equator, which means the rings appear to orbit vertically as opposed to horizontally as they do on Saturn. Like Saturn's rings, Uranus's are thought to be the remains of a shattered moon though it would have to have been a very small moon to have produced such tenuous bands. The ring particles are mostly small and dark, but the outer ring shimmers blue like Uranus itself. In this case, the color is thought to be a product of ice particles rather than methane. If Uranus indeed lost one of its moons to produce its rings, it has plenty left in reserve, 27 moons at last count. Herschel discovered the two largest moons, Titania and Oberon, in 1787. Two more, slightly smaller ones, Ariel and Umbria, floated into view in the telescope of British astronomer William Lassell in 1851. It would take nearly another century before one more moon was discovered in 1948. But after that, Uranus's moon population exploded. Voyager 2 discovered 10 of them in 1986, and a dozen more have since been spotted by ground-based telescopes and the Hubble Space Telescope. In the case of the Uranian system, astronomers have done away with the mythological naming traditions and instead have gone lyrical, choosing names for the planet's moons from the works of William Shakespeare and Alexander Pope. This means that a planet that has never gotten much of a break on its own name is surrounded by a coterie of worlds with names like Miranda and Belinda, Juliet and Portia, Bianca and Cressida, and others like Desdemona and Ophelia. And the moons have more than just their names going for them. Ariel, the third largest moon at 718 miles in diameter, is brilliantly luminous, with what's known as an albedo of 0.34, which means it reflects 34% of the light that strikes it. Think that doesn't sound like much? Consider that our own moon, which can hang like a headlight in the sky, has an albedo of just 0.12, swallowing 88% of the sunlight that hits it and bouncing back only 12%. Ariel's shimmery surface is also a young surface. Some of its craters appear to have been partially filled in by some kind of flooding that occurred after the crater itself was formed. At the frigid temperatures found on Ariel, water behaves like steel, so the floods were likely liquid ethane or methane. Those chemicals exist at temperatures of minus 240 degrees Fahrenheit, or lower. Oberon, the largest moon, at 943 miles across, is nowhere near as dynamic as its little sister Ariel. It has an ancient surface that has been effectively unchanged since its formation. Oberon's most dramatic feature is a mountain that reaches four miles into the sky. On the much larger Earth, that would be the equivalent of a 34-mile-high peak, which is six times taller than Mount Everest. Tiny Miranda, only 292 miles across, is the lowest flying of the main Uranian moons. It has a jagged, irregular surface with seams and cracks and scars and scarps that give it the look of a world that has broken to pieces and then been clumsily slapped back together and that's exactly what astronomers believe has happened. Orbiting deep within the gravity well of Uranus, Miranda is also repeatedly squeezed and pulled by the gravity of its passing sister moons. This caused it to shatter entirely as many as five times in its history. But gravity being gravity... Miranda's fractured pieces have always drawn back together and reassembled themselves, and the moon has found a way to live and fly again. None of this will ever make Uranus one of the solar system's better-loved or more consequential planets. It's an outlier and an oddity, equal parts planet and punchline. It's a world that's almost too far away to visit, and with virtually no chance for life on Uranus itself or on any of its moons, it's barely worth the trouble. But we took that trouble when we sent Voyager out Uranus' way, and will likely take it again, if the money and the will allow for it. The great Earthly cartographers didn't map only the woodlands and river valleys and the plains of our planet. They went to the poles and to the deserts and to the bad lands too. They are all part of the planet at large, just as Uranus, for all its strangeness, is part of our cosmos at large. Join us next week when we visit Neptune, The Last Frontier I'm Jeffrey Kluger Follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey Kluger This is Time Magazine's podcast It's Your Universe produced by Panoply